what I'd like to say to you. And it's the same thing I'd like to say to 2009 version of Brent Wood. There's hope in your story. And your hope might be found in a field, probably not a soccer field. But as we look at the story of Ruth this morning, there was hope that was found in a barley field. And so I want to encourage you to turn with me to Ruth chapter 2. And we're going to rejoin the story that we started last week that talks about two women, Ruth and Naomi. Naomi was the mother-in-law. Ruth was the daughter-in-law. Naomi had gone through a very, very difficult time, season in life. Israel had gone through a drought. She had gone to Moab with her husband just to try to find food for her family. While they were there in Moab, her husband had died. But her sons, two of them, Mila and Chilean, had married, but they died as well. And so she was left without a husband, without two sons, left without any type of income, especially as a foreigner in Moab, and left basically without hope because those sons had never had any children, so there were no grandchildren or grandsons to help her out. So she says, I'm going back where I came from to Bethlehem. Ruth was also part of that story, too, because she was one of the daughters-in-law. She had lost her husband. She had been married maybe as much as 10 years. It's a little unclear as you read the stories. But she was without hope, too, because she was now married to a foreigner in her country. She had no means to take care of herself. There were no children in her story either. And so she decides to go back, not go back, she decides to go to Israel with Naomi, even though she'd never been there before, and she'd be taking on the role of the foreigner herself. But Naomi had become very bitter in this process. And she had think, felt like God had just bailed on her and like didn't really care about her, or maybe he was even angry with her. In fact, we read about it in the end of, of verse or chapter number one. It says, So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, could this be Naomi? And she said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara because, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but God's brought me back empty. So don't call me Naomi. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. And so she comes back as a broken, bitter person. And we get that. Because any hope that she'd had in her story has been stomped underground or underfoot and left on the ground there. But Ruth was a little bit different because Ruth somehow had a resiliency in her that kept moving forward and that kept going on with some hope. And we saw in the story last week six things that these women did that I think were instrumental in bringing hope back into their story. And just to quickly review them, we said we can do the same thing. Immerse yourself in the stories of God's provision. Put a period to your past. Take a step, even a small one. Connect with a fellow traveler. Be determined, because there's still chapters of your story to be written. And then stubbornly believe in God. Here's what I have learned about God. God doesn't always show up and perform the way that I expect him to or the way that I want him to. I have it in my mind that if I do this over here, God's going to do this for me over here, and that's not how it works out. God's always faithful, and God's always just, and God always cares for his children, and God always does what's right, but God doesn't do it according to my plan. And when we get into these hopeless situations that we face in life, 
whether they're relational or financial or health or or job-related or or whatever the case may be. When we get into these situations, we're like, if I do this, God will do this, and he doesn't do that, and we freak out, and that's where Naomi is. I've been a God follower. What just happened here? But if we'll stubbornly believe in God, God will come through, and he may surprise you in the way that he comes through. Well, we go to chapter 2 here, and it's more ideas on how to look for hope. And I want to say this here this morning because I'm not sure looking for hope is the way to go about it. I think what we want to do this morning is we look at this story of Ruth. I'm not sure she was even focused on finding hope. I think she was focused on finding some other things. And so what I want to encourage us as we go through this story, not to look for hope, but to look for some other things. And in the process of looking for these other things, it might just be that hope finds you in the process. And so let me share from this story five things to look for that I think will get us closer to hope. But I share them with you, and I share them again with 2009 version of me because these would have been so helpful for me in my situation. Ruth chapter 2, verse number 1, Naomi had a relative on her husband's side a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, so he's a relative, and his name is Boaz. And this is just introductory to a third character in the story, who next week especially, but even this week, next week as we look at this in chapter 3, becomes central to the story. But he's just introduced here. He's a relative, and he's a man of standing, which means that he was well-respected in the community. He was distinguished. He probably had some financial means as well. Verse number two, and Ruth the Moabite, and we're going to see that several times in this chapter, she gets called the Moabite, which is just a reminder to us that she's a foreigner. She doesn't belong here in a sense. Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, now they're back in Bethlehem, let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. And so she's once again taking a step. She took the step to go back to Bethlehem. Now she's taking another step to go into the fields. Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. So she went out and entered what seemed to be a random field and began to glean behind the harvesters. And as it turned out, she was working in a field that belonged to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech that we just heard about a couple of verses before there. And I like those phrases there. She just assumes that she's out there in some random field, but it's a field that has deep connection here. So then, just, or then, verse number four, it says, just then, like coincidentally, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters and said, the Lord be with you, the Lord bless you. They answered in response. And it just gives us a glimpse of his personality and the character of the man. Obviously, people who worked for him had a good relationship with him. So Boaz asked the harvesters, verse number five, who does that young woman belong to? And so he notices Ruth out in the field. But this isn't really noticing like romantic, like uh, like when you go to your cousin's wedding and you see this woman, you know, this girl standing up there as a bridesmaid, and you're like, well, who is that? That's not what's going on here. This is the guy who owns the field looking out there and saying, I don't recognize her. Who is she? And maybe it was just because she was somebody different and he kept track of, of who worked in his field. And maybe because as a foreigner she looked different, I don't know. 
But it was just he's asking about her because it's tuned in like I haven't seen you before. And the oversight said, or the overseer said, she is the Moabite, there we see it again, who came back from Moab with Naomi. She doesn't even have a name at this point, at least to, to these two guys. And she said in verse number seven to the overseer, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field. She's remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. And so Boaz calls Ruth over and says, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand in you. And whenever you're thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. And again, this isn't a romantic gesture. This is a a compassion gesture or a kindness gesture. In fact, he says, my daughter, there's an age differential here too. This part of the story. And it's like he sees somebody and he's trying to look out for her and just take care of her. And at this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? And Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland, and you came to live here with the people that you didn't even know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Basically what he's saying is, I've heard about you. You are a remarkable woman. And I hope that God really blesses you for what you've done. And it's his prayer. He didn't realize that later on, spoiler alert here, he's going to be the answer to his own prayer. But he is just looking at her going, wow. It's something about Ruth in this moment of hopelessness in her story is impressing this guy Boaz in incredible ways. And she says, hey, can I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? You've put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I don't even have the standing of one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz says, come over here. Come have some bread and dip it in the wine vinegar. And she sits down and eats with the, with the Lord, with the owner of the field. And she has too much to eat even. And she puts it in like a little doggy bag to take back to Naomi after she's done working that day. And so verse number 17, Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley that she gathered and it amounted to about an ephah. And that's not a measure that we're particularly familiar with, but she takes this grain, she threshes it out, and she ends up with an ephah of grain, which would be comparable to about 30 pounds of grain. Okay, this is flour, wheat flour, not barley flour either. This is a five-pound bag. So Ruth works for this day in the, in the corners of the field gleaning here and comes home with 30 pounds, six bags of this. Comes home and plops it down there, and, and, uh, and her mother-in-law sees how much she has gathered. Ruth also brought out her little doggy bag there from leftovers from lunch and offered what she had eaten there to her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law, verse number 19, her mother-in-law, who was absolutely stunned, finally got together to ask her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. In Naomi looks at this and goes, whoa, what just happened? And this is the turning point in Naomi's story. 
when Ruth comes back from the fields with this bag that she's lugging in filled with the grain, and Naomi's like, oh, maybe we haven't been forgotten by God. Maybe our story is not quite as bad as I thought it was. Somebody's obviously helping you, Ruth. Somebody's obviously helping us. And it might be some man here, but there's also some level where Naomi realizes that it's God. Ruth tells her mother-in-law about the place where she'd been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. And in verse 20, Naomi responds, the Lord bless him. And it's not clear, this next word, he, whether he's talking about Boaz or whether he's talking about the Lord. But the Lord bless him. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. This man is our close relative. He's, he's one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he said with me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. And Ruth stayed and harvested there through the entire barley season, the barley harvest, and then also through the wheat harvest as well. And in this story, we can find some things that will bring some hope to us in our story, whatever your story happens to be this morning. So let's look for five things that can be helpful to us and hopeful to us as well. The first thing is to look for grace. If you go all the way back to verse number two, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. If you're reading in the King James, it says, in whose eyes I may find grace. Ruth got something that was really important, and I think when we're dealing with our situations, we need to keep this in mind too. When I am dealing with disappointment all the way down to discouragement and and all the way down to this hopelessness, part of it is because I am disappointed in my expectations or I am disappointed in what I think I deserve or what I think I have coming to me. And so when my reality doesn't match up to my expectations, I suffer from anywhere from discouragement all the way down to hopelessness. But if I understand grace, something happens that changes my thinking, and it shifts my mindset, because grace says that I don't deserve anything. And so instead of having huge expectations, I lower my expectations down to say, I don't have any. And so anything that I get then is going to be positive, right? And when Ruth says, I'm going to go see if I can find favor, she is saying, I am a foreigner. I don't really have any expectations here. If anybody will give me a break, that's more than what I have coming. And so she leans into that. And when we're dealing with hopelessness, one of the things that we need to do is to establish the fact that we are not all that deserved, deserved, entitled. But then anything good that we get, in fact, we have so much, don't we, beyond what we deserve? But we can start at that level, and then, though, we can look for grace. Not that I'm entitled to it, but I can be hopeful in looking to someone or looking to God for grace. And so she goes out and says, I realize I don't deserve anything, but because I don't, anything I'm going to get here is going to be a positive. It's going to be a bonus. And so she leans into that. 
And when we're dealing with hopelessness in our stories, we need to lean into that grace because we have a God who is gracious and who does good things. And when she shows up and says, I don't deserve this, she still gets it. And sometimes I think in our stories, when we struggle with hopelessness, we need to let go of that entitlement, expectation, and say, okay, God, whatever you give me, but I'm looking to you. And because then we become qualified, in a sense, to receive grace. And being undeserving and seeing ourselves as undeserving is really requisite for us to receive grace. It's interesting, in verse number 10, she says this. Ruth says to Boaz, Why have I found such favor? King James again. Why have I found such grace in your eyes that you noticed me a foreigner? So I don't know where you're hopeless this morning, but look to grace. It's not some formula that you go through that if I do this, this happens. It's where you say, God, I don't get anything else but you. I know I don't really have anything else I deserve, but I know that you are good and gracious and kind, and I'm just going to lean into your grace. Secondly, look to glean. Verse 3, she went out into a random field and began to glean behind the harvesters, and the idea here is as they harvested by hand, and put it in their sacks or whatever they use, a lot of it would fall behind, and the gleaners could come behind them and pick that up. This was a law in Israel. In fact, it goes all the way back to Leviticus 19, 9, and 10, which says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. If you drop it, just let it lie. But notice this next line. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner. I am the Lord your God. It was God's provision for the poor and God's provision for the foreigner. And don't miss this. Those of us who have, and that's pretty much all of us, we have the responsibility to help those who don't. It was the command of God's people back then, I still think it holds to us today, to take care of the poor and the foreigner. Interestingly enough, though, where Ruth didn't have the right to grace, she did have the right to glean, because God had made that a law. And so she leans into that, but here's what gleaning is. Gleaning is simply the idea of doing what you can. It's of looking for the small things. It's of going about day by day and say, what do I have to do to get by today? For me in 2009, it was like I have to find a job somewhere. And I ended up finding a job. I was one of two people in Detroit in 2009 who found a job. But I went to work for Henry Ford Hospice. And I'll have to say it wasn't the favorite thing I've ever done in my life. But it was part of gleaning because it was paying some bills and it was keeping my kids fed. And actually it was a place for me to learn about ministry in an entirely different way than anything I'd experienced before. But gleaning is where we lean in and just do the same thing day after day, day after day. And don't miss at the end of this chapter, it wasn't like that day that Boaz met her. He's like, hey, you know what? You don't need to glean anymore. I'll just take care of you. He said, you can keep gleaning here. So she, day after day after day, had to go through the monotony of picking up after the laborers as they left 
food for her. And that was the, the instruction of, of Boaz, too, that we had read past earlier. But it's the idea of us doing what we can do because you never know when in the process of faithfulness, God will open up a door to fruitfulness. And so we can glean. A third thing we can look for is we can look for the goes. You ever notice this? When, when things start to go bad and when you get hopeless and when you get despondent and down in the dumps, life takes on a very negative feel and we just assume that it's going to stay negative. We try something, it doesn't work, so we try again, it doesn't work. We try a third time, it doesn't work. And so we just assume right at that point, it's like, okay, this isn't going to work anymore. And we become very, very negative in how we approach life. And we just assume that something else bad is going to happen. We just wait for the other shoot to fall is, is the phrase that we use. I love Ruth. Ruth is like, she shows up at the field and she says, hey, is it okay if I glean here? And she's waiting for a Yes. Because he's leaning back into that grace idea. And sometimes we need to go looking for somebody to say, go, instead of somebody to say, no. Instead of saying, this will never work, or I've tried this before, why should I try it again? Or I've only been disappointed, I don't want to be disappointed anymore, I can't take any more hurt. We need to lean in and look into situations and hope for goes. Because you know what? We're looking for grace, right? And if God's a grace... God's a God of grace. He's going to bring along a person of grace like Boaz who may give us the go that we need. So we need to go looking for yeses in our lives and we need to start looking for the positives in our life. We also need to look to give. I love verse 11 where Ruth introduces herself and Boaz says, I already know all about you. I've been told what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. In other words, I've heard about how you have given to Naomi. And I think when we struggle with hopelessness, we forget about all the things that we have that we can give ourselves. And if we look to bring hope to somebody else, rather than looking to find hope ourselves, we're going to get a lot further down the road towards healing and towards hopefulness. And so the word was out. This Ruth woman, she wasn't like what you'd expect. Instead of feeling sorry for herself, she's out there in the fields looking for work, and she's trying to take care of her mother-in-law. And for all of us, that when we're going through these hopeful situations, we need to stop thinking about ourselves, and we start need to look around and say, who can I help here? Who can I serve? Who can I bring hope to? Because somewhere you have a means to bring hope to another person. And then finally, I'd say this, you need to look for God. It's when Ruth comes home with 30 pounds of barley that Naomi goes, oh, God might be in my situation here. And it was looking back in my story where I can start to see some things where, like, God was in my situation. God was in my story when he did give me a job, when it was so hard to find a job in 2009, especially coming in from out of town, where I can look at my story and say, not only did he give me a job, he gave me a job next to a guy named Jamie, who was a Christian guy and who really was a huge support 
for me through that year. And God not only gave me James, God gave me these two friends, Tom and Joy, who, for whatever reason, decided that they were going to take care of us and got me through one of the darkest years of my life because they knew that we needed a friend. And as I look back, God kept showing up with a barley, or actually God kept showing up with a soccer ball. And I can even look back on that, and my kids look at me today and say, Dad, that was our favorite year. We got to live with Graham for a year. And you know, there's a soccer ball that I'm holding in my hand. 2009, all these little girls. This is Lindsay's ball. It's not my ball. I stole it for this morning. But this is a reminder that even in your situation right now, even in your hopelessness, even in your field, there might be barley or there might be a soccer ball, but there is hope. And so I'd encourage all of us this morning to stop looking for hope, but to start looking for these things that Ruth found. And in the process, she finds hope. They're not going to go without food. They are going to be taken care of. And she's found this guy who's basically said, I'm going to look out for you. You don't need to worry anymore. But not because she went looking for that. It's because she went looking for grace. And because she went looking to glean. And she went looking for a go. And she went looking to give. And she went looking for God. And in the process, I don't know that she found hope, but hope found her.